You're listening to Potato Candy Network. Hello and welcome back to Blank Monster. As always, I am your lovely host, Marie. This week, we are continuing with our Blank Monster segments. In these episodes, I bring two or three monsters from the Monster Manual that I think are underrated or overrated, and some ideas on how to use them in unique and hopefully different ways. We are working through the 5th edition Monster Manual in alphabetical order, and this week we are on to the letter E. So I only have two monsters for this week, but they are large, uh, physically and on the page as well, so they make up for it with size. First up, we have the Empyrean. Now, from what I can tell, the Empyrean is specifically a 5e creation. There's a few versions of it in past editions, such as 3.5 as a type of angel, but the version that the 5th edition Monster Manual presents doesn't exist anywhere else from what I can tell. The Empyrean are celestial children of the gods of the upper plains, so the best description I can think of these are divine giants. They are universally, so all of them, Beautiful, statuesque, and self-assured. So basically, what if Hercules was, you know, conceited, like he is in the myths? The Empyrean are interesting because there are a few key features about them that make them great for scenarios. The first is that their emotions affect the environment around them. Literally, how they feel changes the world around them. If they're unhappy, the clouds are crying, meaning rain. Flowers might wilt in a field. Or... If they're happy and jubilant, sunshine's falling everywhere and animals are frolicking in the forest. Basically, they are an extreme emotion being. They are happy or sad or angry, potentially. We'll get into that in a minute. But the environment's going to change based upon their mood, which is really fun because this is not a character that's going to hide anything. This is a very what-you-see-what-you-get kind of character. The other thing is they are, for the most part, good. They are, again, children of gods of the Upper Plains, which is going to be your lawful areas, lawful good and lawful neutrals probably thrown in there as well. But they can be turned evil, either due to corruption, such as a spell, or even just time spent on the Lower Plains, such as Material Plane, where your players probably are. And that turns them evil somehow. Don't ask me, I didn't make it up. But when that happens, they can't really live in the Upper Plains because, well, they're no longer lawful or good they're evil so when that happens they are usually stuck on the lower planes where they often become tyrants ruling over kingdoms because again they are universally self-assured and they're also giants and children of the gods so it's really easy to create a tyrant that is literally a divine giant turned evil also because of their divine nature they don't age but they can be killed and again self-assured they can't imagine being killed, so they don't believe it could ever happen. Even if they're on death's door, they will keep fighting because, eh, I'm not going to die. I've never died before. So there's a lot of hubris tied up in them, but it's a lot of kind of justified hubris because of what they are. When they do actually die, for whatever reason, their spirit goes back to the upper planes. And at that point, their parents, again, the gods, can revive them unless there's a really good reason not to. Now, it doesn't give me good examples of this. One such reason could be they did turn evil, so you may not want to bring them back yet. Or maybe they ticked off their parents somehow. It's possible. Even if you are a lawful good character who has found a lawful good NPC, it doesn't mean a lawful good god that you follow is going to be happy with you. They don't always get along. 
so again very simple character you get what you get with these guys but it's a fascinating concept because we don't really see much with giants and divinity because the giants have their own ordining they have the all father that they worship and they all kind of fall in the hierarchy there whereas these guys are a huge celestial titan size so they are big they are not tiny you are going to see them coming and how they feel you can tell from a distance so that's a really fun character to throw in a game to see how your players want to interact so a couple of ideas for these guys the first is your players can go into an area that has been having a lot of unknown weather changes Maybe it seems like an area outside of town. Maybe it's the town itself, depending upon the size radius you want to fill. The book doesn't say specifically how large a radius an Empyrean can affect. I would say you can kind of play around with it as you want to based upon the power level you give this guy. But they go into town and your players realize a lot of weird weather effects. A lot of very extreme weather effects. Some days it's very hot and sunny. Next day it's storming and you almost have a flood. Now, there is magic going on here, so your players could pinpoint either through channel divinities, maybe, or if they want to have any trying tracking spells going on, they can track down if there's an Empyrean that has been living in the area that's causing problems. Now, I would say this would be a good area to put an evil Empyrean in because this could be someone who's exiled from their home and they haven't quite adapted to the material plane just yet, so they haven't taken over anything. So your players have a chance to basically prevent the town from being taken over and then later towns from being taken over by this Empyrean. Another option for this character is you can have your players get wind of a giant that has claimed a kingdom for its own. Now, I say kingdom loosely. You can decide how big an area it is. But your players are sent as giant killers because that is also a good option if you're playing the... Storm King's Thunder campaign, which deals with giants. Your players, as giant killers, whether they are claiming it, either way, are sent to go kill this giant. Great. They go to go kill the giant. You can even give them a giant killing weapon if you want to. And they get there and it's not a giant. This is one that, again, you could play it either way. This Empyrean could be evil. Could be a siding that is going to be tyrant. This could also be a good Empyrean. And maybe he's just trying to prove, like Hercules that he is worthy to be able to be brought back home. So they may not be wanting to kill this guy, depending upon whether you're making him good or evil. But either way, they're being sent to kill a giant that's not technically a giant. And remember, child of the gods, depending upon who's in your party, they may actually be fighting or having to figure out how to deal with the child of their deity, if you have a paladin or cleric who's lawful good. Which leads me to my third idea for this character that your paladin or cleric CD has actually tasked them with returning their child home. Now, I would say at this point you need to have an evil deity, or at least someone, not evil deity, sorry, <laughs> the good deity, with an evil Empyrean child or someone who has been turned, um, either through curse possibly, so against their will, or you need someone very stubborn that they're going against. So this is not an exile. This is someone who's chosen to leave, who needs to be brought back, but can't be brought back by the god for some reason lots of reasons you can throw at that easiest reason they've been cursed to be evil whatever it is now remember you can flavor this as you want to but one way to send the appearing back to that plane is by killing them so their spirit goes back so you have a good option now this is a very powerful character with 300 hit points 
Imperians are tough, so it's not going to be an easy fight. But if your party wanted to, they could legitimately justify killing this character to send them back to the planes that they're supposed to be going to in order to fulfill the quest from their deity. So that is a really solid option if you want them to be able to do combat with not major consequences. Yes, your deity is probably mad at you because you killed my kid, but the deity can just revive them later. It's fine. So those are three options for the Empyrean. Um, again, they are very tough characters in general, so definitely make sure you have high-level characters going into this because your party will be wiped out otherwise in a straight-on fight. Second character we are going to go over today is another big guy um, and kind of counts for two characters because it has two heads. The second character for this episode is the Etin, and I will say the Etin and Etin, and don't question it. <laughs> As I've learned from past episodes, I can't pronounce these names. But the Etin is one that I'm kind of familiar with from other media, so to speak. It's one I could not figure out where I f had first heard of it for some reason. But Etins are two-headed giants. Um, based upon the 5th edition monster manual, they're tied kind of towards orcs. Um, if you look them up historically, they're kind of relating back to Norse mythology. They're a type of creature, at least. There's no specific description for them that I could find. But that's where their origin is for 5th edition a little bit. Now, I say they're tied to orcs. Their true origins is unknown. No one really understands actually where these come from. But they are believed to be cursed orcs. Meaning they went somewhere, got into something they weren't supposed to, and they got trapped and cursed. And now they're basically fighting against themselves for eternity. Long story short. Now, because they are tied to orcs in some type of heritage that's unknown... They're often enticed to serve orcus tribes as guards, marauders, warriors, champions, whatever all you want to put them in. Edens are all about give me stuff and I can follow you, right? So as long as they're getting food and loot, they are happy-ish to serve. Which means the tribes don't have to be really careful what they give them. Now remember though, the Edens have two heads and each head has its own personality. So imagine being stuck with your sibling for eternity never being able to leave the room, that's what you get. Edens, for this reason, often live alone. As with two heads, you're going to get a fight. With four heads, you get a shouting match. So you're not really going to find them grouped together very much. That being said, I will point out in the 3.5 Monster Manual, Edens often form together for gangs. Um, usually with smaller creatures such as orcs, such as kobolds, goblins, anything they can kind of rule over. And they actually stay together long enough to accomplish stuff as long as the leader is not defeated. So while 5th edition tends to keep them as more solitary creatures, past editions actually have them teaming up a little bit. They still value treasure in past editions. In 3.5 and 4th edition, they both tend to travel in bands using loot, not as something for themselves, but as a way to buy services from others, so intelligence. So even though 5th edition is very, they live alone, there is cause in older editions that you could use to justify having multiple Edens or even other creatures teamed up with them for a scenario. We'll get to that in a bit. Now, with it having two heads, the Edens are very, very tricky to fight because two heads means two attacks that have no disadvantage because they're ambidextrous. They also cannot be crept up on because the one head sleeps, the other head's keeping watch. So it's going to be very difficult for your party to just sneak up on it. 
one other fun fact I'll mention, and then I'll go into scenario ideas because you'll understand why, is that the ends have a very unique mating ritual. I say unique. Within DD terms, it's probably not. But the females tend to be the dominant gender for ends that you'll find. And for mating ritual, they will kidnap a male Eden. They will basically keep it as a servant for them while they are pregnant for seven months and then kick him out. And then once the baby Eden is grown up enough to survive, kick that child out and then leave the, you know, nest area that they've had set up and just wander. My first thought when I read that was the opening scene of Shrek the Musical, where Shrek is being told by parents that he's 10 years old so he can go away now. That's what I'm imagining, basically. So bouncing off of that lovely family thought, you have our first scenario idea, which is that your party is either tasked with or just has noticed for whatever reason, a Orcas tribe has been more active in an area. They've been kind of outside their normal zone. You could even have, if your party has an orc or anyone of orcus descent in their party, maybe they're related to this tribe, could be really fun. And what is happening is this Orcus tribe is seeking a male Eden to offer to their current champion, which is a female Eden. She wants to have a mating ritual, so they basically said, we'll find you a guy as long as you stay. So you're basically looking to kidnap an Eden and bring it back, which Edens are fairly tough. They have 85 hit points. If you remember anything about challenge ratings, higher number, the higher the challenge. They are a challenge rating of four, which is going to be difficult for low-level parties. But if your party is either working with the Orc tribe to bring them back, maybe you can get some help that way. You can even have your party working against the Orcus tribe. Maybe they are actually enemies. Maybe they're rivals, even if it's a tribe that you don't have any ties with. could be really fun to throw it off that way, have it be almost like a territory battle. That if we can get this Edna run off, we can fight them and win. There's a lot of wiggle room with that scenario of just a tribe is trying to find a male Eden to offer the female Eden to keep her around and your party is either helping or stopping them. And again, this one kind of leans more towards kidnapping <laughs> of a monster, but you can also just have them foiling an attempt. A another option is based more on the past edition idea of them setting up basically groups. That you have a traveler or a series of travelers that are reporting bands of Edens have set up tolls. Now, Edens specifically tend to work with goblins and orcs, as you know, most monster races in DD do. In fourth edition, they're actually teamed up with demons a lot of times. So you get a lot of wiggle room upon who is in this group. You could have a single Eden with a bunch of minions. You could have multiple Edens and maybe a minion or two. You could even have, if you want to flip it, have a demon that has enlisted all these Edens. Either way, you have these creatures that are basically terrorizing the road, taking out tolls, so to speak, gathering loot, gathering food and supplies, and basically being a menace. This would definitely be a high-level fight because there'd be a lot of them, but it'd be really fun if your party is just looking for something kind of simple to go through, that they don't have to do a whole lot of, we're going to sit there and talk to these things. All you have to do is defeat the leader, and everything else scatters, so you can be very strategic with the fights. The last option for the Edens is actually one that I really like. So Edens are not intelligent, so to speak. Now, they're not dumb creatures, obviously. They're very tough in a fight. They can become leaders, kind of. And even in 4th edition, they have spellcasters. You have Eden spirit talkers that can actually do spells and summon spirits, literally, as their name says. 
So there is intelligence there, but they are not wizards. However, what happens if you make them intelligent? So if anyone has remembers the Scooby-Doo 2 movie that came out in well, we're probably the, the 2000 there is at this point, where Scooby becomes highly intelligent and hates it, that's what I'm channeling. Your party comes across an end, whether it is a first time or if it is them tracking it, either way works. And this Eden has gotten a cursed item that has made one head highly intelligent. Now, your party will have to figure out, first of all, how to talk to this head, because they'll have to wait till the other head is asleep. And they also need to figure out how to help, because they need to remove an intelligence curse, or spell, either way, depending upon how you want to look at it, from this creature so that it can go back to its normal life. Imagine being super highly intelligent and being stuck with a five-year-old. That's what I'm imagining in my head this thing would be going insane. So being able to go back to the way it was, not having to worry about intelligence would probably be a blessing for it. And you can even flip the script too. Maybe it wants to make the other head intelligent. Maybe it's trying to achieve enlightenment almost, so to speak. You could go either way and your party even could offer that as, as a suggestion if you didn't mention it. But the idea of having one head intelligent, the other one still probably dumb as a college student, <laughs> let's just be honest, is really funny and creates an interesting scenario where your party almost has to talk to it to know what's going on because it is intelligent. So it's not going to just be a fight. It's going to be a very strategic fight that your party might not be expecting from this creature. So those are two very large monsters for this episode, the Empyrean and the Etten. Um, I think the Etten is probably shorter than the Empyrean, honestly, but they're both listed as giant creatures in the monster manual. So we'll go with it. <laughs> Next week, we are on to the letter F. We have a couple more large creatures we're going into. Um, we have not made a giants yet, but we are hitting a couple of distant cousins around the border, at least it seems. Let me know how you would use either of these creatures in a scenario. If you end up running one of the ideas I have, let me know how it went. I'm very curious to know um, how the Empyrean sibling fight goes, <laughs> possibly, which is one thing I probably should have thought about thinking on it. If you have a a smart character who is descended from a god, then they would literally be siblings. So that's always an option too for throwing in family ties if you want it. <laughs> but let me know what you do with these characters. Let me know coming up what monsters you want me to look at, possibly that you think are underused or just overused and need new ideas on them because sometimes that's even an option. Until then, I will see you in the next episode. Hello, Bob Spuds here on the scene once again reporting for Potato Candy Network. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing on your podcasting app of choice. If you have a scenario prompt you want us to use, send it to us on social networking with Instagram and Facebook at Potato Candy Network. And if you really liked us, consider supporting us on Patreon for bonus content monthly, such as behind-the-scenes sneak peeks, inspirations, and future episode previews. Check out our brother show, Dreadful Tales, for some taut-tension-full, truly terrifying tales of terror. <laughs> Got that on the first try, you know. And finally, please leave us a review, as it helps your recommendations and helps others find the hard work we do here at Potato Candy Network. Oh, and friendly reminder, if someone asks you if you're a god, don't think of marshmallows. <laughs> Nobody likes that guy. <laughs>